part of the reason why there's a, the rivalry is because the Puerto Ricans have assimilated to American life and they want to live like an American. I bet you didn't think I was going to talk about Beowulf when you were talking about West Side Story. I just can't help but feel that Shakespeare's narrative is just a little bit more elegant. Well, do you like West Side Story any better after that conversation? I do like it better, but I still don't know if I believe in love at first sight. There are no new words under the sun. There are no new notes I have left to hum. There are no new rhymes yet to be sung. There are no new chords that strings haven't sung. Hello and welcome to another episode of Unreliable Narrators, where we discuss media, literature, and the arts and how they relate to Christ, the self, and the world. I'm Raymond Docapel. And I'm Sophie Belonkel. So today, the topic of conversation, among other things, is love at first sight. Uh, Sophie, do you believe in, in love at first sight? I think that depends on what your definition of love is. Oh no, no, let's not get started now. <laughs> <laughs> if you mean attraction or infatuation, perhaps, at first sight, I definitely believe in that. Um, if we're talking about the kind of deep love that is formed through uh, knowing someone deeply, then I think probably not. Okay. So, so the topic today, we're talking about the, the uh, musical by Stephen Sondheim, West Side Story, um, which is based off of uh, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, which is based off of an earlier story, Romeus and Juliet, which is a love poem that was done in 1562. So it's a very old story, but this is also a story that is famously celebrated and ridiculed at the same time for being love at first sight, which is how something that is dealt with from since time immemorial um, is it is love. This idea of love and romantic love and infatuation is always being glorified and ridiculed at the same time. Um, and the line, at least in literary history, between true love and infatuation and the reality or relative reality of both is not clear and it's deliberately uh, confused. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm interested in that question because for me, when I think about West Side Story and Romeo and Juliet, especially in relation to love at first sight, the main question that is pressing upon my mind is plausibility. I'm very invested in this question. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you are as much as I am, but I am very <laughs> interested in this idea of like uh, the fact that these, these two lovers fall in love so quickly and yet we're so willing to believe in it happening so fast. Like we always talk about it being unrealistic and yet whenever it happens, when we see it portrayed in cinema, for some reason, we're willing to suspend our disbelief. And I'm very curious about how that magic works, um, how we're able to to do that sort of sleight of hand that every single time it happens, we, we fall for it. Well, Raymond, here's my question to you. Have you never had an experience where you 
saw a woman across a room and just immediately were head over heels? Have you never had that happen to you? I feel like you are sort of cheating because you already know the answer to this question. (laughs) I do. I just want to hear you say it. (laughs) Yes, yes, but... (laughs) Okay, okay. No, no, all right. I, I concede. The the point the point being made. Uh, well, what I want to say about that, now you haven't confessed what you just confessed. I feel like saying, do you believe in love at first sight is a little bit of a... I mean, I think that's a hard question given what you're saying about whether or not we think that's plausible. What's plausible is what you experience, right? And it, it does boil down to what your definition of love is, right? But I know people... Clearly, and not just you, I know other people who have had an experience that is similar to what happens to Tony and Maria in West Side Story or to Romeo and Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. So I think that the question of plausibility, like, because it hasn't happened to everyone or because it seems like it shouldn't be able to happen, then it's easy to say, well, this isn't real, right? There is no such thing as love at first sight. It doesn't really happen. What about all the people it does happen to? What about the fact that I know people who have experienced that and then got married and stayed together and are still in love? Like, I think the fact that that is an experience that people really have makes it a little bit hard to just dismiss it out of hand. And I think that might be a little bit of an answer to your question, which is when we see it on a screen, when we see it in a story, there's some part of us that knows this is a real experience no matter how you would parse it out, whether or not you would say this is infatuation or this is real, this is a lasting love that's going to stay, this moment is something that really happens. And that's right, right. really interesting. Oh, yes. But here's the here's the real question, especially when we get to these early stories of love at first died, Romeo and Juliet being among, you know, some of the the, the, the classic example of this in the Western tradition. It is inevitably tied up with tragedy, death, suicide, murder, all of these things, love and first sight and a tragic ending are almost inexplicably intertwined. Mm-hmm. And so are we willing to accept that as also equally plausible? It seems that like, you know, the I guess maybe the real question we have is whether uh, what we have today where we believe in love and first sight, but we also sort of rewrite the Romeo and Juliet ending so that we can have love and first sight and also the happy ending so we can have our cake and eat it too. Right. Whereas originally love and first sight and death are, are kind of flip sides. One is just the darker side of the same coin. True. True. So anyway... Let's let's talk about West Side Story. You you chose this topic. Yes. Um, I watched it for the first time, and it was the Steven Spielberg version that came out in 2022. I don't know how much they changed, but uh, he changed from the original. I think most of the songs were the same. Mm-hmm. And this was my first introduction to it because I, 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 I'd never seen West Side Story before. I knew that everybody talked about it. Uh, so everybody loves it, and it's it's a very popular Broadway musical. Mm-hmm. What do you like about it? The music is great, and I like Romeo and Juliet. And so I think more or less any version of Romeo and Juliet... Like, I was a high school musical fan, right? <laughs> a high school musical is just 
Romeo and Juliet in a high school with a happy ending. Uh, and High School Musical isn't even that good, but there's something about that story when it's set to music that really gets to me. So I think it's really beautiful. It's a really lovely story. Um, and I think if you like Romeo and Juliet, it's difficult not to like West Side Story. But now I'm questioning that a little bit because it seems like you like Romeo and Juliet and maybe don't like West Side Story all that much. I am uncomfortable with West Side Story. And mm -hmm. it's because it's so recent that I've just watched it and I haven't totally thought through everything yet. Maybe right. I will like it by the end. Um, but I'm going to have to think it through with you throughout the course of this episode. Sounds good. So, Yes, but I think that there are big differences between Romeo and Juliet and West Side Story that I don't really know what to make of, but mm -hmm. I think they're very important. So anyway, let's talk about West Side Story. Or maybe we should talk about Romeo and Juliet first, recap. No, we'll talk about West Side Story first. Like Sounds that. good. So, so, so what's this musical about? So, basically, and so I, I will actually preface this with saying... Even if you have never read Romeo and Juliet and you have never seen West Side Story, this story will probably sound familiar to you because it's just in the air, right? Everyone in our culture knows some version of this story because it's told in many different ways. The really basic in a nutshell version is that we have two rival gangs in New York City. Uh, there are the Jets, who are all of these young men who... It's implied grew up in poverty, um, don't seem like they really have families or parents around, have kind of scraped and stolen <laughs> their way through life, um, and they have a gang to kind of make a family for themselves. They're called the Jets. And then we have the Sharks, which is a rival gang. They are all Puerto Rican, so they're all immigrants. None of them were born in America. Um, and they actually do have families, but they're also, all their jobs, you know, they're maids and cleaning ladies and waiters and their service people because of the there's an element of racism in the city which means that you know that's about all that they can do um and the jets don't like the fact that the sharks have immigrated and are trying to assimilate into new york city and the sharks are resentful obviously of the jets for that reason but also there are lots of the sharks who maybe kind of don't want to stay here they're here out of necessity but they really miss home they want to go back to puerto rico so that's the backdrop, and the basic, basic version of the story is Tony, who is a member of the Jets, falls in love with Maria, who is Puerto Rican. She's part of this family that is part of the Sharks, right? She's not one of the gang. She's not actually, like, running around with a knife, but she is related to them. He falls in love with her, and neither the Jets nor the Sharks like the fact that Tony and Maria have fallen in love, and through, uh, there's some escalation of violence that happens because of the fact that nobody's really happy with this relationship, with the fact that they want to be together, um, with the result that big important people on both sides are killed. And, um, in the end, the, this is the, where it deviates slightly from Romeo and Juliet, which is the, the original story, obviously, um, Tony is given misinformation that Maria has been killed. And he's so devastated by this that he goes out into the street yelling for one of the members of the Sharks to kill him. 
and Maria is not actually dead. He's been given misinformation, but then he, he turns as he's running through the streets yelling for to be killed. He turns and he sees Maria and he, uh, in that moment is shot and killed by a member of the, of the sharks. And there's this really famous final scene where Maria like picks up the gun and waves it around and says, uh, how many people can I kill and still have a bullet left for me? How do you fire this gun, Chino? Just by pulling this little trigger? How many bullets are left, Chino? Enough for you and you? All of you! You all killed him and my brother and Riff. Not with bullets and guns, with hate. Well, I can kill too, because now I have hate. How many can I kill, Chino? How many? And still have one bullet left for me. Um, I can kill now because I can hate, or because I hate. And then she drops the gun and she cries, and they, the the gangs are kind of um, the feud is healed. So there's this implication that they're not going to fight anymore. They all pick up Tony's body and walk down the street with it, and she kind of follows behind. That's the really basic, bare-bones version of the story, which, again, you've probably heard before in some form, even if this is your first introduction to it, because the Romeo and Juliet idea of rival people or rival gangs of some kind, and then two, a member from each side falls in love with the other, and that causes problems and ultimately heals the feud, that's a really age-old story that you can see in lots of different lots of different media. Right. So what are the main differences? Uh, let's go back now to Romeo and Juliet. What are some of the main similarities, like where, where, where the correspondence is and where the difference is? Because there's a big divergence in the end, um, because in the, in the original play, both Romeo and Juliet commit suicide versus only mm-hmm. Tony is killed via murder rather than suicide. Um, right. And so that ending is different enough to me that would make me say that this is not a re- this is not a retelling of a story. Well, I don't know how mm-hmm. to, how exactly to put it. I mean, it's like it's not like I'm trying to to reboot the story somehow or tell the same story. Um, it seems that it's more like based right. on or a reinvention of the story. Um, what would you say? Yeah, so I think the similarity, similarities are probably easier to start with. Most of the characters, at least the major players in West Side Story, have a one-to-one correspondence with a character from Romeo and Juliet. So obviously we have Tony and Maria are Romeo and Juliet. And then on the shark side, which is the Capulet side, which is Juliet's side, um, Bernardo, who is sort of the leader of this gang, um, he is Maria's brother in West Side Story, but then he has a direct correspondence to Tybalt in Romeo and Juliet, who is Juliet's cousin, who Romeo eventually kills, just like Tony eventually kills Bernardo in West Side Story. Um, and then on the Jet side, so on Tony's side, we have Riff, who is Tony's best friend, who directly corresponds to Mercutio in... Uh, Romeo and Juliet. And I think probably the part that corresponds most directly is who kills who, right? So 
in one of the climactic scenes of West Side Story, um, there's this big, what they call a rumble. So there's this big fight between the gangs. And Tony shows up to the fight, actually trying to de-escalate the violence because he wants to be with, with Maria, and that involves de-escalating this feud between the gangs. But in this violence that boils over, Bernardo, who is Tybalt, right, kills Riff, who is Mercutio, which is a very famous scene from Romeo and Juliet. And then uh, Tony is enraged, and just like Romeo kills Tybalt, then Tony kills Bernardo. Um, and... The character of Paris, who is this person that Juliet is supposed to marry, uh, who's actually a Capulet, and, you know, her family's going to be happy about that, in Romeo and Juliet, um, has a direct correspondence with the character Chino in West Side Story, who also um, is... Uh, well, in Romeo and Juliet, actually, Chino, or uh, Paris, is killed by Romeo versus... Chino killing Tony in West Side Story. So, characters, obviously, there's a pretty one-on-one correspondence. One big Wait, difference... Who is, who, who is Chino in Romeo and Juliet? Uh, Paris. Paris. And Tybalt is... is uh, Bernardo. Bernardo, mm -hmm. who's Maria's sister in West Side Story. But yeah, Maria's But in the original, Tybalt, Tybalt is, uh, is Juliet's cousin. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um... One of the biggest differences is that, so, there are two major characters in Romeo and Juliet who either have a very redefined version in West Side Story, or they don't exist at all. The first one is, the nurse is a really famous character in Romeo and Juliet, who is Juliet's nurse, basically just her servant, who is there to be comic relief and also to provide advice. That character in West Side Story is named Anita who is Bernardo's girlfriend, but they're basically married, right? They live together. They talk about eventually having kids, that sort of thing. Um, and Anita plays a really important role in West Side Story that the nurse does not play in Romeo and Juliet because Anita is the one who tells uh, Tony, or, you know, doesn't actually tell Tony, but tells members of the Jets that Maria is dead, which is totally not true, but that's the way that this misinformation gets back to Tony, which is not something that the nurse does in Romeo and Juliet. So that's one big difference. The other difference that I think is thematically really important is that in Romeo and Juliet, there is a friar. So there's a priest character who marries Romeo and Juliet and then also is kind of trying to help them um, get together and be able to run away. And he's hoping that that's going to heal the feud between the Capulets and the Montagues. So Romeo and Juliet in Romeo and Juliet actually have a holy man on their side who's trying to help them out um, and who's willing to marry them and everything. Whereas in West Side Story, as far as I can tell, we actually don't have a friar character really at all. There's uh, Valentina in the Spielberg version and there's um, a different version of that character in the older version of West Side Story. But basically, there isn't a, there isn't a friar. And when Tony and Maria, the scene where they get married... I'm making air quotes because it's in, like, a little chapel. They're by themselves. They kind of say the wedding vows, but mess them up a little bit. <laughs> and there are no witnesses. There's no priest. Um, and then they consider themselves married after that. So those, I think, are two really big differences. And then, obviously, the huge plot difference is that at the end of Romeo and Juliet, both Romeo and Juliet kill themselves. So 
Juliet is told by the friar to take a potion and she's going to look like she's dead for 48 hours, which is supposed to be long enough for things to cool down so that she can escape. But then the message that the friar sends to Romeo, that's supposed to clue him into the fact that Juliet is doing this plan, never makes it to Romeo. He finds her in this tomb. He thinks that she's actually dead. And in grief, he kills himself. Juliet literally wakes up like five minutes later, <laughs> sees him, goes, oh no. And she kills herself as well. well. I, th- I, I thought she he actually received word from another messenger, from his own messenger. So he had another messenger who thought who saw her, thought that she was dead, and then went and told him. And then the yes. original messenger never makes it to him. Yeah, so he is told by someone that Juliet is dead. And then he also goes and he sees her. <laughs> so he kills himself, like, holding her, basically, thinking that she's dead. Um, and then she also kills herself when she sees him being actually dead when she wakes up, which is all obviously really tragic, um, because, I mean, for many reasons, in part because she was about to wake up. Like, if he had waited five more minutes, she would have woken up and he would have seen her and they would have been okay, but it's a Shakespeare tragedy and so that doesn't happen and they both die. Um, whereas in West Side Story, um, Tony does not kill Paris like Romeo... Or, sorry, Tony does not kill Chino like Romeo kills Paris in Romeo and Juliet. Um, Tony is only killed by Chino. And Maria, unlike Juliet, does not kill herself. She does not die. And I think that's an interesting choice because that could have been a really easy choice to make. She picks up the gun. She actually talks about killing herself. Like, she points it around at everybody and she says, how many bullets are there? And there's one left for me. But then she does not kill herself. She sets down the gun and follows everyone out when they carry Tony's body out. Um, So I think that just in terms of objective plot details, those are some of the biggest change or some of the biggest differences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. See, I guess my thoughts on this is just my impression of just comparing the plays together. I just can't help but feel that Shakespeare's narrative is just a little bit more elegant. Um, I agree. It's it's more sophisticated. Uh, And it's more, it it just, the plot just works together just a little bit more smoothly. And when I think about West Side Story, I feel like there's a lot of things that are being jolted or forced together that would have worked better if they had just kind of stuck with the original. I mean, so a couple things, and this goes back to what I was talking about Um, with plausibility so we talked about like the plausibility of love at first sight right and whether this the story can escalate like this love can escalate so quickly Mm -hmm. Um, in the original in the original play we have romeo goes to visit juliet's juliet's house right and he overhears her delivering a soliloquy saying declaring her love for him and so Shakespeare actually deliberately uh, changed that from the original. That was his own addition. He added Romeo overhearing the soliloquy um, so as, as a plot device to speed it up faster. Because if she, he overhears her, then that gives him more confidence to court her uh, with more confidence. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, if he didn't, then it would take longer. And so that is, I think, an important element that would make this you know fast romance 
much more believable. Mm-hmm. And so I'm when I talk about love at first sight, I don't necessarily mean attraction at first sight, which of course is very believable and happens all the time. But it's like actually um, getting together so quickly that I feel like is in popular media is kind of glossed over but if when but we go back to the original love at first sight story with Romeo and Juliet there was a very simple thing that was added in there that made that believable which was that he overheard it um so i think that's important and there are other elements where i feel like in west side story they're sort of writing on a stereotype of romeo and juliet like we're willing to believe this implausibility because it's Romeo and Juliet. Whereas um, there were actually very subtle plot devices in the original that they didn't carry over. That was one of them. Hmm. Um, and then the second one, and then, and then in the case of, of the, the deaths, right? We have, uh, in the original, we have the deaths are facilitated by people with good intentions, namely Friar Lawrence, who's trying to get them together, sends a message, sends a messenger. The messenger doesn't get there. Someone else actually sees Juliet dead and because he genuinely believes that she's dead, goes and tells what he actually believes. And it's because of this misunderstanding that all of this happens. And that seems to be more tragically intense in some sense because it's a misunderstanding. And then you think, well, you know, if they just knew, then it wouldn't have happened. In, in, uh, in West Side Story, it's the, the characters are definitely much more culpable for what actually happened. Sure. Uh, so what happens in, with Anita, so Anita, which is Bernardo's girlfriend, she goes and visits the... There was there was no original plan in West Side Story. There's no plan for for Juliet uh, Maria. I mean Maria to commit to fake her death so that she would come back later and that they were running. There was no conspiracy. None of that was happening. Uh, but then Anita goes to the Jets, and I don't remember what her original intention was for going there. She's trying to sort of reconcile the conflict somehow. The Jets brutally harass her mm-hmm. um, and out of bitterness and spite, she makes up the story. Mm-hmm. She says, Maria, ha- Maria is dead. Chino shot her, um, which is just a little bit more bitter. There's just a little bit more spitefulness. There's a little bit. And then after that, there's an actual murder of Chino murdering, uh, mur- murdering Tony. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that that, I don't know what to make of that. Um, I think that it's interesting that the characters in West Side Story are far more guilty. Um, they are actual murderers, whereas they are not necessarily uh, in Shakespeare, because the murders that take place are happening in the context of duels, and it's more of a code of honor, so... Like, in some cases, they're, they're like, killing each other in a place where there was, they already established that they were going to fight each other. And there were certain rules that were established. So, it's debatable whether murder really takes place in the original. Mm. Um, 
where there's clearly murder taking place in the next one. So I don't know whether I like the idea of making them more culpable or not. I'll work that out. But I just think plotting-wise, it just it just fits better to, uh, for me, for, for Shakespeare. So, Well, I think that one response maybe that I have to what you just said is that for sure there's a different point in Romeo and Juliet because a huge point of Romeo and Juliet is that young people act too quickly and too impulsively when, especially when they're in love, but also just in general. Um, and there's this line from Friar Lawrence who, again, tellingly is not in West Side Story. Um, he tells Romeo at one point, wisely and slow, they stumble that run fast. Right? Which is just great advice for all of us to follow. But he's saying, right, like, go slowly, go carefully, think before you do things. Um, and Romeo obviously does not do that. So that's one thing, um, that Romeo and Juliet includes lots of elements that, where, you know, things go wrong that don't have to go wrong, but also those things would be taken care of if you would just stop and think for two seconds. Um, like the messenger you're talking about in Romeo and Juliet, the messenger that's supposed to make it to Romeo and inform him of the plan never makes it to him. Um, and so, but then when he's told that Juliet is dead and he goes and he thinks that she's dead, like he acts super impulsively. He kills himself and nobody's making him do that. He doesn't have to do that. He could wait. He could contact Friar Lawrence and ask what's going on. Right. But he doesn't do that because he's young and impulsive and he's acting foolishly, right? He's not acting wisely and slowly, which is what Friar Lawrence told him to do. Um, whereas in West Side Story, that I think is less of the point. The focus is less on the impulsivity of young people who are lovers because everyone is young, right? Bernardo's young, Anita's young, Riff is young. There aren't really lots of older characters who are able to give that advice. The focus is more on the racial relationship between these two groups. We have the Jets, who are white, and we have the Sharks, who are Puerto Rican. And the question of whether or not the Puerto Ricans are going to be able to assimilate into American culture and into the world of New York City is a huge part of the question. And the objection to the relationship between Tony and Maria has so much to do with the the racial aspect. <laughs> the fact that we don't want these two people to be together. Like, it's a it's an interracial relationship, which is an element that just isn't really there in Romeo and Juliet. So I agree with you that there's more classical tragedy in Romeo and Juliet because things just, like, happen to go wrong. But I don't think it's an accident that in West Side Story the characters are more culpable and there's more spite and there's more murder because I think that that violence comes out of the emphasis on the hatred between these two people groups who are different races, who come from different places. And but, there's but that this... is more spite, though. Yes. No, I agree. I don't think that's wrong. But I don't think it's accidental. I think that it's purposeful. Um, and I think that part of the point is to emphasize what happens when you... when you have this kind of hatred between people just because of who they are and where they come from. Um, West Side Story, I think, is a lot more about race than it is about the impulsivity of young lovers. Well, you definitely see, I think, 
a, a difference in emphasis here. So, for example, in Romeo and Juliet, it's the love interest, which is the center, and the feud is serves as the backdrop, where it's the reverse in West Side Story. The feud is the center, and the love story is sort of the backdrop in it. Hence, you have the final speech, um, I hate, therefore I kill now, as opposed to Juliet's final speech at the end of Romeo and Juliet, um, where she talks about how her body is a sheath and she's going to stab herself. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think, the, the, the thing about Shakespeare as in, in, in terms of his, I think, part of his genius is the fact that he can build these extremely dramatic situations out of seemingly inconsequential things. Um, That's what I think is really the great thing about reading Shakespeare. Um, And also the way that he he builds conflict on misunderstanding, because Romeo and Juliet's not the first uh, play to do this. We see this also with Othello done very well, mm-hmm. uh, where Othello kills Desdemona based on a tragic misunderstanding. Um, for me, that just personally, in my experience, that seems to be a more believable situation of how human conflict arises. Um, just for me, like when I think about human conflicts with people in my own life more times it's an escalation based off a misunderstanding than just a racial feud i've never been in a racial feud so i i i find shakespeare more relatable in that sense um like usually in a lot of times somebody says someone either you're interested in like romantically or just you know a family member says something that you know and they didn't have any intention of of hurting you, but you took it as hurt, and so then you respond with menace, and then they take that as hurt, and then they respond with greater menace, and then all of it was just based off of the misunderstanding. Um, I think it was Wittgenstein who said that all philosophical problems arise from misunderstandings in language. I don't know if all do, but mm-hmm. a lot of them do. I think that's the great Shakespeare insight. Um, and I just find that so profound to me. And when I think about like exploring that same idea in New York, you know, 20th century New York, between this family feud, I would have liked to see that that brilliant sort of Shakespearean subtlety played out. Um, but what I see is just like, oh, it's just war. And so it's just not as it's not as thought provoking to me. Yeah, I mean, it is a movie about gangs, right? So you're talking about Shakespearean subtlety when their little powwow about the rumble is, like, trying to figure out whether they're going to fight with fists or knives, right? So, yeah, like, it is just a different setting. But I do think that what you're saying sort of leads us to a broader question, which is what do we think about the nature of the blood feud in this story? Because in Romeo and Juliet, the Capulets and the Montagues hate each other, right? And we don't really... I mean, maybe we hear why. I don't actually remember well enough to know whether we are given a reason. But the reason is not, like, the focus of the story. We don't super care why the Montagues and the Capulets hate each other. 
and we don't need to really know in order to understand the story of Romeo and Juliet. Whereas that is not true in West Side Story. In West Side Story, the reason that the gangs are fighting is everything. It's the whole point of the story, really. Um, but I think that the question that both Romeo and Juliet and West Side Story is asking is, how do you resolve that kind of feud when it seems like there's this stalemate, when the Jets and the Sharks can't be in the same room without fighting, even at this dance where the point is just to have a dance, right? They can't, not only can they not fight, but they can't dance with one another. Um, there's a rift that's so deep between them that it has to be resolved somehow. And the question that I think both stories are trying to answer is, how do we get there? How does a feud like that get resolved? Which, when you think about it, is a really old story. Even uh, Beowulf. I bet you didn't think I was going to talk about Beowulf <laughs> when you were talking about West Side Story. But a story as old as Beowulf is also about the idea of a blood feud. And in Beowulf, the way that you solve the blood feud is actually also with violence. Like, Grendel is this monstrous depiction of a blood feud. And what a blood feud was at that time was, you know, you have a family or you have a tribe or a nation and you are warring with another family or another tribe and you have to take revenge on them for something they did to your, you know, maybe they killed your uncle. So you have to go and kill some member of their family, but now they have to take revenge on you for that. And so it, the cycle goes on and on forever and ever. Right. And so in Beowulf, the only way that you solve that cycle of violence is you bring in someone from another, from another place. You bring in a Dane <laughs> and he comes in and he's so strong and so powerful and such a good King that he is able to dismantle and kill the monstrous depiction of the blood feud, right? That's the old answer to that question, but that's not the answer we see in West Side Story. The answer is not, you kill a monster. The answer is, there is both love and there's a kind of sacrifice. <laughs> there is love between two young people and then those two young people are sacrificed and that sacrifice somehow heals the feud. Is that a better answer than the answer in Beowulf? What do you, how do you feel about that answer? Well, I am, I'm uh, three seconds away from bringing back up Rene Girard again. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay, three seconds have passed, so I'm going to. <laughs> so so I've, I, I don't know how much I've talked to, talked about Rene Girard extensively on this podcast, but I can't help, I feel like, especially if we're talking about Shakespeare and rivalry, we really have to bring this up. Um, and where is the origin of conflict? Okay, so that's the question that Rene Girard, um, this uh, the French anthropologist Girard, was asking this question: Where is the source of human conflict? And he's asking this as an anthropologist. And the anthropological answer, most of the time, is lack of resources. We don't have enough resources. And th th that's the first one. And then the second one is difference. People are different. That's why we are um, in conflict. Rene Girard says that the answer to both of those, to the real source of conflict, is actually the opposite in both cases. First of all, we don't lack resources. Um, the reason why we compete over them is because we imitate what other people want. So if you put, if you're in a nursery and you have 
five children and five toys, they're not going to distribute the toys evenly because Bob, Bobby is going to pick up the toy and then Jamie is going to see Bobby with the toy and want what he has. So we're all going to end up fighting over that one toy. We know that that happens. That's human conflict. And that's what he calls mimetic desire, where you imitate, imitate other people's desires. So first, it's not lack of resources. Second, he says it's not differences, it's similarities. Hmm. You hate someone who is like you, not someone who is unlike you. Hmm. Uh, uh, because they're your rival. So th when, they're, when they're vying for the same object, it's because in the classic Western uh, drama, you say this town is not big enough for the two of us. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It's not because the bad town is not is actually not big enough for the two of you. It's because you know there can be only one sheriff. Um, that's the role I occupy, and someone else is threatening that. Um, and so I feel like that can really shed a light, especially with the racial tensions that we often have in America today. Um, I don't think we really adequately address where the roots of racism is because we're always saying, oh, it's because they're different from us. It's just because so-and-so is a different skin color. And it's much, di it's much deeper than that. Um, because like, for example, you know, Asian, Asian American, let's just take that as an example. Um, an Asian American growing up in America today, you know, I, I know plenty of them are like, fifth generation they don't speak any chinese at all they're completely american that is really the a lot of the conflict between uh you know uh animosity towards asian americans right now is against specifically asian assimilated americans mm -hmm. somebody who is so different from you that they're not actually competing for the same place say in college admissions mm -hmm. um you don't have any animosity towards them. You know, when I went to China, nobody had any animosity towards me because I was an outsider. The very fact that I was an outsider means, you know, I'm not going to take any of your spots. And so, and there was an interesting comment that was made in West Side Story um, where I think the Jets say it's it's not about race, it's about territory. Mm -hmm. And I think that... Um, you're led... I think that the movie is encouraging you to think that that is that's a lie it is about race it is about skin color it's not about territory like they're lying when they say that and but i think that there is some truth to that that part of the reason why there's a the rivalry is because the puerto ricans have assimilated to american life and they want to live like an american they're not they're not quite as puerto rican as they were before um, this is a very common problem with immigrants because they they identify as being this particular racial minority and then they go back to their ethnic home country. They actually end up being rejected by them because they've assimilated so much without even knowing that they have. So anyway, these are all just thoughts. I think like this is important. This really would shed a light on the issue. And I don't really see that. It seemed to be a, too simplified. In, in West Side Story. Hmm. I don't know, though. So, like, what you just said about the line, it isn't about race, it's about territory, which I think Riff says during the Rumble. Right. And I think it's about both, because this, it, it's, it's about territory, 
but this territory belongs to the Jets, right? It belongs to the white kids. And there is a rejection of the idea that these Puerto Ricans might be able to come in and then also have that territory. But I also think, actually, when it comes to what you're talking about, resources, it, they make it very clear in the movie that the Puerto Ricans don't, uh, well, they're super poor, but also that the only jobs available to them are service jobs, right? That Maria is a, she's a cleaning lady, um, that everybody works, like, really poor service jobs that are, you know, kind of stereotypically associated with an immigrant, especially in a big city like, like New York City. Um, but it also doesn't really seem like the Jets are all that much better off, right? Like, they're all just poor. They all don't have anything. Um, the Jets, I think a lot of them seem like they're pretty much homeless. <laughs> like, they don't have families. They don't really come from somewhere. And so I wonder if some of the resentment of the Jets, of the Sharks... Actually, I think they even say this in one scene. Tony says to Maria, like, at least you all come from families. At least you come from homes. Like, he kind of thinks that maybe the sharks are better off. Um, they have jobs, even if the jobs suck. <laughs> and even if people discriminate against them because of where they're from and because of their accents and their language and all that. You know, at least they've got a family. At least they have jobs. Whereas the Jets kind of seem like there's nowhere to go for them. Uh, Riff actually says at some point, I think Tony... I forget what Tony says to him, but Riff answers something like... Um, says something about how he was, like, born to die young. Oh, because, uh, Tony says, grow up. And Riff is like, I'm never going to. <laughs> I'm gonna die young. Because he just doesn't expect to live very long because that's just not the culture he came from. So anyway, I don't know how much that helps, but I do think that it, like, shed some light on the idea of resources and the fact that all of these people are trying to find their way in a world in which neither of them really have very much at all. Um, it's not really like they're competing for resources because they're not the ones who have resources. We don't see the rich people in the city. We don't see the people who live normal lives and have normal jobs. We only see the poorest of the poor fighting each other rather than trying to move forward in the world or rather than trying to have right. better jobs or better resources. Right. And I don't want to like project or generalize too much because it definitely seems that like, you know, the current, the current animosity that you see happening between Caucasians and Asians, Americans, let's say, is probably quite different than uh, the, than Puerto Ricans and the poor whites in New York at, at the time this musical is set. Um, but I definitely, but you definitely see like, there's a potential, right? Mm -hmm. There's a potential that is really something that is also causing part of the conflict um, because they both have the potential to move up in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's what's causing some of the anxiety, uh, right? Because once they move up in the world, then if they, can, if they have the opportunity to live the American dream, it's having the dream that they feel like there's there's not going to be room for both of them to occupy that position. Yeah. 
when really they're not competing right now. I mean, like they could just coexist. Mm -hmm. It's the idea of something that they could have in the future that they think that not both of them can have. Well, actually, now that you mention it, I wonder if that's some of the reason for the animosity toward Tony and Maria as a couple. Because Tony and Maria would be really good for one another, even just from a socioeconomic standpoint, right? Like, Maria would be able to move a little bit out of the discrimination against her people, right? Because she would be in an interracial marriage, she would be marrying a white man who doesn't have as much of the racial stigma associated with him. But then he, like, it's very clear that the Jets aren't very well off, right? They don't have lots of money. And, but he's trying to get away from that life, right? Like, he's trying to get away from the gang life. And leaving the gang life and getting married and getting a job and living a stable life would also be good for him. It would be good for his life. And so in a way, them being together would mean leaving a lot of the difficulties and the struggles of their people behind and living a better life together. And I wonder if there's some jealousy involved if the Jets and the Sharks are not okay with that because that would mean that they are improving their life circumstances, that they're doing better and they're doing better because they are together and they don't actually want that <laughs> for anyone um, because it would mean going so far as to set aside their hatred and their animosity in order to improve their circumstances together. And that's too much. It's easier to be full of hate. It's easier to fight than it is to lay aside that hatred and make things better by loving your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that is very interesting. And again, I feel like I don't really know how, at that point, this is where the story seems to be making quite a different point than what is going on in Romeo and Juliet. And I still don't think I've come into a conclusion of coming any closer of what I think about that. <laughs> um, but I think it is very, it's, it's fascinating to me. Um, but what is sort of been sort of pressing on my mind here too, is I'm thinking about this also, I'm going to continue in Gerard with Gerard's theory here when he talks about this idea of mimetic rivalry. Mm -hmm. Um, so his whole, this is his, basically his exegesis of the gospels. He talks about how the conflict first, a conflict comes from, um, similarities and copying other people's desires, you know, and this is where this can escalate and escalate until it becomes a war of all against all. Right. So Gerard's theory and this is where he connects this to the Gospels and Christianity. He says, the way that primitive cultures prior to Christianity solved this problem so that everybody didn't kill everyone was with the scapegoat, which was to take everyone's fault and pin it on a single person and kill that person. So it's sacrifice. Mm -hmm. um, but part of one of the points that he's making about this is that it depends on it being an illusion, mm -hmm. right? You have to believe that this person is guilty of something and then kill that person. And then once that person is killed, then, you know, you've transferred all of their sins on them. When in fact, that person cannot be responsible for everything that, that happened. Um, 
and the insight of Christianity, which changes that, is because instead of being written from the perspective of the persecutors, it's written from the perspective of the victims by the four Gospels. Jesus rose from the dead. He declares that he was unjustly killed, and all the disciples testify to this. Mm -hmm. And this changes the whole thrust of narratives now, because now we're saying, you know, that human cultures, this cycle of violence is founded on something unjust. And so Gerard challenges, he does, he, I don't, he, he challenges the idea of Christ as the sacrificial scapegoat, right? Because part of what he's doing is demystifying the idea of the sacrificial scapegoat, like dispelling that illusion. Mm -hmm. Um, it's the good spell which counters the bad spell. Hmm. And so what are we to think of that in a post-Christian world when we see the sacrificial uh, story taking place? When we see the story of a person dying for someone who's innocent, dying on behalf of the people and that reconciling the community. What does that mean now? Um, now that we've been demythologized mm -hmm. and we now know that the victim is in fact innocent that there was work done on the cross that was complete right he is the one who's supposed to take on our sins it's not supposed to be tony right mm -hmm. the fact that he was killed and then is to revert to a, a, an older form of reconciliation where we kill someone else who, like, it's only Christ who can, who should do that. And so I, it still seems like an unjust murder that shouldn't have happened. Yeah. I think as you were talking, it occurred to me that I wonder if the real victim, the real sacrifice in West Side Story is Maria and not Tony. Because... If we're talking about the idea of there being an innocent victim, right? If the sacrifice has to be of an innocent. Tony's not really particularly innocent, right? He kills Bernardo out of anger. Well, and actually, we know that he has a violent streak because he tells Maria before their, you know, fake wedding that he, at one point, like, almost killed someone just by, like, beating up on him and that... He's kind of haunted by that fact. And then he does the same thing at the Rumble before he kills Bernardo. Riff gets killed. He kills Bernardo. Later, um, like, he, well, he's going looking for Chino. It, he doesn't actually kill Chino like Romeo kills Paris in Romeo and Juliet. But the point is, like, Tony's not actually innocent. Whereas Maria really does nothing wrong, right? She falls in love with Tony. She wants to be with him. She is sad when he kills Bernardo. Um, she's willing to forgive him. And then at the end, I think one thing actually that's interesting is that the big difference between Maria and Juliet is that Juliet kills herself when Romeo is dead and then Maria does not. And she alludes to the fact that she could kill herself and that she wants to and she doesn't do it. Well, I can kill too. Because now I have hate! Which is kind of the thing that keeps her innocent, right? She does not the, commit the sin of killing herself. Um, she stays alive. 
And yet she's also kind of a sacrifice because she has to lose this person that she loves. And because she loses this person that she loves, there are not going to be any more murders. This is the last one. Tony is the last to die because now the feud is healed. But in order for the feud to be healed and in order for there to be no one else who's going to die, she... She is the one who suffers for that. And her suffering is not to die, but it is to live without this man that she loves. Um, so I wonder if she's, she's the innocent victim. <laughs> she is the sacrifice. But because of that sacrifice, this is the last death. No one else is going to die. Right. Well, the last enemy to be defeated is death, so. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, that's all very interesting. I still find it confusing to me. I, I don't know if... <laughs> but I, I, um, I appreciate the insights that, that, you, that, that you brought into it. I mean, I think making the focus on Maria is, is interesting. Um, but yeah, I feel like the, the story still seems to be a little bit mysterious to me. Um, uh, Steven Spielberg is a very, at least that's just the version I was watching, mm -hmm. right? Is a very magical director. Yes. Uh, and he he really does lean into the power of movie magic to to make us believe things. Yes. And and so that's why I'm looking at these tiny little things that I see in the original Romeo and Juliet, and I see Shakespeare is like very meticulously setting us up so that everything sort of just logically flows. Um, when I feel like Spielberg is sort of, you know, like uh, sweeping some stuff under the rug by using movie magic mm -hmm. to make it happen. Um, so I don't really know how, how he did it because that is how magic works. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a little bit of sleight of hand going on here and a magician never reveals his secrets true uh i will say so speaking of yes. movie magic actually maybe one more thought that i have and if this doesn't convince you then i guess maybe it's a lost cause but the so the moments in the movie that i think are most magical for me are the moment when he sees they see each other for the first time across the room and it all it takes is their expressions to empathize immediately like you're there with them you get immediately what's going on and then the first time when they talk kind of behind the little bleachers in the back of the room and like when she kisses him for the first time and then the balcony scene is just so beautiful it's so lovely and actually going back to what your question at the beginning which is do we really believe in love at first sight maybe not but when i see that scene i do <laughs> like I really believe it when I see it happening with them. And I think that it's really important that that is important to the story because they have a love that is real, right? Whether or not you believe in love at first sight. The Tony and Maria love at first sight is real. All you have to do is watch it to believe it. And that love is born into a world that is hostile to it, right? Everything is stacked against that love. And there is no ending in which their love ends up okay, right? The world in which it, the love is born is broken enough 
that they're never going to make it. It's a tragedy from the very beginning, but the love is worth pursuing anyway because it is good, because the outcome would be good. And I think that's a little bit like when the world is broken, there's something wrong, there's something twisted or broken in the world, that means that our lives are always going to involve tragedies, right? There's always, I mean, you know, love stories in the real world only end one way. Uh, they end in either you fall apart or you die. And there's no other way for that love story to end. But the love story is worth pursuing anyway. And the hope is that Christ comes into the world and fixes it. He renews the world. He makes something better so that the love is able to survive. So that the best part of man, the best things about him, are able to, to live. And in West Side Story, we have a little taste of that at the end when we have a sacrifice that leads to a healing of the feud. And the world after this will be just a little bit better. In the world that exists after Tony and Maria, a different member of the Jets could fall in love with a different Puerto Rican and they would be able to fall in love and actually get married and actually live a life that is good, mm -hmm. that does not fall apart yeah. where they don't die. Um, and that's because there's right. a healing of a broken world. Right. And I think, yeah, that's, that is, again, to go back to this idea of, like, mimesis and imitation. Um, if you choose to not reciprocate violence, right, that is the only point where it stops. And to, and the, the problem with that is that it's fundamentally unjust mm -hmm. because what justice is, is an eye, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Um, and so once the conflict gets worse and worse, and at some point you are the first person to say, I am not going to return this, which is what Maria does, mm -hmm. um, then you are fundamentally and, and, and functionally foisting grace upon that community, yeah. um, which they do not deserve. They, do, they deserve, the conflict deserves, the, what justice would be was for everyone to, to kill each other in a, a war for all against all. Uh, and, and that's not what happens. And so that's like that unexpected reversal and that bringing of grace upon, upon the community, which I think is very powerful and, and interesting. Very cool. Well, do you like West Side Story any better after that conversation? I do like it better, but I still don't know if I believe in love at first sight. <laughs> That's okay. You'll believe it when you see it. Okay. Well, anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Unreliable Narrators, a Mars Hill podcast. Unreliable Narrators is an original podcast produced by Raymond Dokabel and Sophie Belonkel. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever podcasts can be found. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us, review us, or write to us at unreliablepodcasters at gmail.com, or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash unreliablenarratorspodcast. That's patreon.com slash unreliablenarratorspodcast. Shout out to our Paradiso-level patron, Amy Klomperens. Our theme song is New Moon by Caleb Klomperens. In our next episode, we'll be discussing the 1903 short story The Magic Shop by science fiction author H.G. Wells. Until then, friends, 
If you run into some beautiful girl in a neighborhood dance in Manhattan, make sure you have a job. Happy Thanksgiving! I know you can see something inside The one part of me that I cannot hide And maybe it's true that nothing is new But I can see so much more in you There are no new words under the sun Strong.